0: Back to Colossians. Here we go. So last time we were in Colossians 1, we were reading verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. And we were talking about um, Paul's ministry to the church. And just like what that meant for us. What his goals of instructing them were. you know, not letting them be deceived by all these other thoughts that were coming in, you know, stuff like that. The way that he labored on behalf of the church, we spoke about that a little bit. We spoke about the charge and the goal that he gave to them to stay planted firm in the faith. We're going to read it again over real quick. We just kind of stopped midway. So we're going to read it to get it fresh in our heads again. And then we'll go through and we'll look at some of the the way the gospel kind of comes into this Area of scripture, and then we'll look at maybe some of the connections it makes throughout like, the scriptures through the Bible, or the Old Testament, the New Testament, and stuff like that. And then we'll keep on digging in, man. So there we go. Colossians 1 24. Pull this up real quick. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to take the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those that lay obese here, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Talks a lot about the mystery of Christ, Christ being a mystery, right? Pretty awesome. So let's, let's see. Um, that's what we're going to dig into real quick. Cause you see that a lot. We just read it a lot. It comes up a lot. So Christ the mystery, hidden by God for ages and generations, right? Christ has, at the turn of the ages, been revealed as the centerpiece of God's plan for the reconciliation of all things, right? He is the key. He is the key that unlocks that, the eternal divine plan for human history. So this divine revelation that we see, like, like a lot of the mysteries in the Bible that we see, um, they require that divine provided interpretation to be understood so like we can see how how this works in Daniel Daniel 2 verses 17 to 49 Daniel 2 17 to 49 how it takes divine revelation to understand some of the things of the Lord right let's read it real quick most of you guys know the story it says then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah Mishael and Azariah his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is when the king had, had told everybody to tell him his dream and then interpret his dream without him saying anything about it or giving them any kind of hint. So everybody was like freaking out, no one could do it. So here we go. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after them, and he who reveals mystery made known to you what is to be. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold a great image, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out by no, hit, no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together, were broken in pieces, and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another in kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks the pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. As the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly brute. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of God, Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and the chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So we see how, how mysteries are from God, right? He's the one that reveals them to us. You know, Paul, as God's appointed ambassador, he's charged to interpret the mysteries of Christ for the Gentile peoples of the earth. We see that in Colossians uh, 125, what we just read, and verses 28 to 29. Um, When we learn about Christ, we discover the key that unlocks that human history, and therefore the reason for our very existence, right? So let's talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. The By virtue of their union talking about the church at the time with with Israel's Messiah, which was Christ, right? Gentile believers enjoy the unshakable hope that they will share in the glory of God. Humanity lost this glory, I believe, in Adam's rebellion. We see it in Genesis 3, right? You guys all know the story. The serpent deceived Eve in the eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God gave out the consequences to each of them for their disobedience. You know, First, it was to the serpent, then to the woman, and then to man. And then he kicked them all out of the garden and placed a flaming sword to protect the entrance. So we can also see this truth of humanity, like losing the glory in Adam's rebellion. If we look at Romans 3.23, where it tells us, for all have sinned, right? And all fall short of the glory of God. But God's plan of renewal, it includes the restoration of all humanity. He lies the faithful image of God clothed in glory. So, Colossians 3, 4. So, Colossians 3, if you want to go, go there real quick. And then we're going to read verse 4 and verse 9 and 10. And verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? Verses 9 and 10, it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, Romans 5.2 tells us that through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8 also, verses uh, 17 to 21 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified with them, right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to it. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Also in verses 29 to 30, same chapter, Romans 8, 29 to 30, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Christ, the powerful indwelling presence of Christ, ensures and assures us that this inner transformation is taking place and it will be completed on the day of his return when he triumphs over evil, basically. Look at Philippians one to six. Philippians one to six, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we can be assured of that. We're insured and assured that the work that Christ is doing inside of us, his indwelling spirit, is going to be completing the work that needs to be completed until we are with Christ again. Or until he returns. Then it'll be fully completed. All right. Uh, some of the connections we can see in, in these verses of Colossians that connect the entire Bible, so old to new. Gentile inclusion is what we see uh, it being in, included into the people of God, right? So <clears throat> Christians today can sometimes take this for granted, I believe, that the gospel is for everyone, you know, so regardless of your ethnic origin, I mean, a lot of times some of the jews think that no it's still just for the jews okay you know i don't understand other people just think it was like for them that we don't really concern ourselves sometimes you know thinking that it's for everybody other people have a, a different view where it's only for certain elected people you know um I believe it's for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, everyone, regardless of where you were born, regardless of of what your skin color is, regardless of your ethnic background, your origin. It doesn't matter. The gospel is for everyone. But when the gospel first burst upon the scene of history, right, Such this concept, it was like new and even scandalous at the time, like they were fighting and pushing back against this thought. The Jewish nation of Israel, had been the people of God for many centuries. They were like the chosen, special, you know, they were the people of God. The rest of the people of the world were just outside of the covenant of God, and they were considered like unclean, just sinful people that were just basically cut off from God. That's how they were seen. anybody who was outside the Jewish nation at that time. We can see it in Matthew 18, verse 17. Matthew 18, verse 17. That if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Gentiles and tax collectors, people outside of God's people were not like they're basically using the hair as like a curse word almost. You know, they're like, if they won't listen, then let them be like a gentile. Cut off from you. You know, no good. That's it. Get rid of them. Galatians 1 Galatians 1 verse fifteen says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So here we see Paul, that Paul was called out by God, right? Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, it says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world however the old testament you know it it promised that one day the gentiles would seek god and one day they would become full members of his people we see this in isaiah 2 isaiah 2 verses 2 to 3 it says It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. All the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord So we see all the nations coming to God. Uh, Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, verses 23 to 25. 23 to 25 says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, Egypt my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Uh, you know Israel gets to be the inheritance, still a little bit more special, but we still see other people coming in, right? Zechariah, Zechariah 2. Zechariah 2 verses 10 and 11. Zechariah 2 says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Verse 11 says, And many nations, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in their midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you." So these promises, they, fu- they found their fulfillment in Christ, right, it's awesome. Consequently, also Paul was charged with making Christ known to not only the Gentiles, but also to God's saints among the Gentiles at the time, in verses 26 to 27 of Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, where he was reading earlier, which says, uh, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. For them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in the hope of God. So we can see this connection, right? From the Old Testament to the new, how they were getting brought into the, the, to be the covenant people of God, united all in one to worship the one true God. We also see the hiddenness of Christ in the Old Testament. You know, the idea that Christ appears in the Old Testament is very, very popular. And, and I guess, let me try to clarify this without going crazy. To properly understand this, so Colossians 1, 26 to 27, right? It teaches that God had hid Christ away from human view until the time of his fulfillment, of this eschatological fulfillment. So strictly speaking, Christ as like who he was, the climax of this divine disclosure, wasn't revealed until he was incarnate, So he was born of the Virgin Mary, right? That's when we see like the Christ. So Galatians four four says, but when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, right? So that's when we see Christ. It, so it would be a little bit more accurate to just say that that there are prefigurations or foreshadows would be a, a little more accurate, you know. And the promises of Christ in the Old Testament definitely they're there everywhere, and they point forward to the day, you know, when the Father would finally unveil His Son as the Born Christ. And, and then you know later on, death resurrected. So the hiddenness of Christ in the Old Testament what we see is a lot of foreshadows. There's a lot in there. If you guys ever want to go over that, you know, hit me up. You can't go there now because we'll get, it will be a whole nother rabbit trail. That, that'll take months of study. It's beautiful. though, It really is. Um, and some of it's still not even 100%. There's still debate on a lot of that stuff too, but, but it's a good thing to just see you know, where you stand with it someday. So, let's keep going. Some theological soundings that we see in those verses that we read earlier. We see suffering, right? Suffering. We see this a lot with Paul. Poor guy. Paul played this unique role in redemptive history by virtue of his divine commission as apostle to the Gentiles. That was what he was commissioned for. As Christ suffered on behalf of his people to purchase salvation for them, you know, so Paul, in a way, suffered to bring the salvation purchased by Christ to those who had not yet heard the message, right? This is what I believe he was talking about when he says, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ in Colossians 124, if you guys remember, we were kind of talking about that a little bit. So Paul's suffering was very unique to his apostolic vocation. (laughs) Like, it was like part of it, you know, remember Acts 9. Acts 9, 15 to 16. Acts 9, 15 to 16. Says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. But so he was like literally called to suffer. That was part of his vocation, right? First Corinthians 4, verses 9 to 13. First Corinthians 4, 9 to 13. <clears throat> so it's why I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. That's oh, looking at some stuff on angels. I not want to get back right, Sorry. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. We're still talking about the apostles here, right? To the present hour, we hunger and thirst; we are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless; when persecuted, we endure; when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Crazy, that powerful stuff. Second Corinthians eleven. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. It says, and they are they servants of Christ? He's asking the question. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who was made to fall and I am not indignant. So after the pattern of, of his Lord, Paul's suffering functioned to bring salvation to others. But he brought the gospel message to the Gentiles, to the King, to so many others. So in a derivative type of way, you know, all believers partake in such redemptive suffering. We really do none of it is wasted though for those who trust in Christ, and all of it's going to serve ultimately to advance God's purposes of redemption for this world so we we gotta just be prepared like I know for me sometimes I get scared just to even speak up with somebody about Christ, and that scares me even more you know because then I'm like, what's wrong with me? like, why what the heck? just we'll say something? Who cares if they like hate you good? You know, I'm supposed to rejoice in that. Like, I, I know the scripture. And that sometimes helps me to get pushed past it. Because back in the day, you know, it was different. I, I've always been kind of alone and quiet. And like, I just never really, I don't know. I was always, like, more to myself. Because I know how quick things could just pop off. And then it could just go in a fight out of nowhere. And I wasn't even doing nothing but minding my own business. I was, uh, I never really learned to talk to people, but now with Christ, man, and what he's done for me, and I see all these things, and the suffering, like, who cares, like, it's a beautiful thing to be able to tell somebody this truth of the gospel, you know, anyway, keep going, Romans 8, Romans 8, verses 18 and 28, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Well, that's where our hope should be right there is that glory that is to come for all this stuff on the earth is just temporary it's going to pass away you know um, lives souls they're eternal they live forever and there's only two places they can go we have that hope and we, we got to bring it to others right verse 28 says and we know that for those who love god all things was together for good. for those who are called according to his purpose and i personally love that verse. You know, it's gotten me through a lot of tough times, a lot of trials that came my way. You know, I would just quote that over and over to me. Like, I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I know it's going to work out for your glory and for my good in the long run. And, you know, sometimes it takes years, sometimes it takes a week, sometimes it takes a month. But I definitely see his hand work all those things out and things always end up better. I know if I would have done things my way, it would have just gotten worse. So... These are these just beautiful things, man, of being in Christ. It really is. Second Corinthians 4.17. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that's the hope we have. It's a beautiful thing. What well, we look forward to is that eternal, eternal resting place, you know? There's more than just this. This is temporary. And, yeah, we focus on the eternal. Rewards. We also see Christ. We see Christ, a storehouse of divine wisdom. The book of Proverbs teaches that God is the fountainhead of all wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> he has wo- wo- woven uh, order into creation, including a moral order. Right? Colossians 2.3 teaches that what was true of God in the Old Testament can now also be said to be true of the Son. You know, It says that in him are... Hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Excuse me. The Son makes these treasures available to His people through the Scriptures and through prayer in the Spirit. That's why prayer is so important. Walking in the Spirit, super important. He's the one that gives us truth, gives us knowledge, gives us wisdom. All right? Colossians one nine. Read Colossians one nine. It says, "And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you." asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. These are powerful prayers that we can learn to pray as well. Colossians 3.16, 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let us just continue to do that, learn to learn, learn from Christ, read, read the scriptures, right? All right, so we're gonna continue into Colossians. We stopped at verse 5, chapter 2. We're gonna now read verses 6 to 23, 6 to 23. And this is where Paul starts to confront the false teaching. And I don't know how far we'll get, but we're going to push in, and we'll ask some questions, we'll dig in, we'll try to learn from each other. <clears throat> so the place of the pa- passage, as we know, is, um, he's highlighting, okay, so he already highlighted the eminence, preeminence of Christ. He explained his apostolic, role. Well, talking about Paul, sorry. Right. He already did the introduction to his letter. He highlighted the preeminence of Christ. He's explained his apostolic role in the divine plan of history. So now Paul turns to the heart of the matter, and that's to confront directly the false teachings that are going on at the Church of Colossae. So let's read. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision not made of hand, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to christ let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from god But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, what's the big picture? The big picture is that the Colossians are, are supposed to reject all these false teachings that are being offered to some of the people in their midst. Because in Christ, they have all they need for salvation and for their ongoing life with God. And this is true for every believer. You know, if we're in Christ, Christ is dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit. Is the that's all we really need, you know. He'll give us the truth. I mean, we need to be in our scriptures. We need to pray. We need to do all these things. Yeah, and also but if we stay focused on Christ, then we we'll he'll, he'll help us get there. So look at Colossians two six to seven. We're going to talk about walk in Him. Right, Paul's post pragmatic statement that he makes. Walk in Him. Six and seven. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So, Epaphras had faithfully handed on to the Colossians the apostolic gospel that Jesus is Lord. The Colossians received the message, they had been firmly rooted in it. You know, now, as a first strike against this heresy, Paul urges them to continue to walk in Christ. He's like, you guys already know the truth, you know the gospel, you're in Christ, so now continue to walk in Christ. So a question for you guys, what do you think this might mean and how might abounding in thanksgiving uh, function as a way of ensuring that the Colossians remain faithful to Christ's Lord in every area of that? So the question is, what do you think this might mean? Verses six and seven. And how might abounding in thanksgiving in verse seven uh, function to help ensure that the Colossians remain faithful to Christ as Lord in every area of their life?
1: I guess it would depend on like where it is that they're <clears throat> focusing their like gratitude on. Um because we can be thankful for a lot of things in Christ but I think that the probably the thing that will keep us bound and like focused in him the most is practicing like being thankful for the fact that salvation was made available to us in the first place
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: then from there everything else stems because when you're focused on like the gospel daily then that's what's going to help you to stay firmly rooted in christ um since we're forgetful people like we do need to be reminded constantly of why it is that we needed saving and how that saving took place and so that that always will lead to that usually will lead to a thing like um a a uh discipline or a practice of gratitude i think
0: yeah definitely I agree. I agree. And that's a good point that sometimes we just need that little reminder. That's why I think Paul stresses so much to be thankful. Because if we're constantly being thankful to Christ, right, and and we're like, always continuing to give thanks to Christ alone for the things that he alone could do for us. It's going to be kind of hard to forget what he did it's going to be hard to walk away from the gospel because you're going to be constantly like thank you lord thank you again today you know in the afternoon thanks lord i just just thought about you again man that was awesome what you did for me kind of you know just throughout the day if you're constantly being thankful to the lord and you understand what he did yeah hard hard to like get led astray i guess you know anybody else want to add anything
2: I'll add something. Um, so one of the one of the, in verse in verse uh, seven, mm-hmm. uh, so having been firmly rooted. So one of the one of the interesting things here is um, when I was writing it down. Um, so l- look how kind of how I wrote it down. So that way I don't have to draw. So, um, so <laughs> may, it might be backwards there. Oh, wait, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. So what, what, one of the things is when we're when we're um, firmly rooted, all right, and then and then built up and then establish, And then there's gratitude. And it makes sense that when I, when I, when I drew it out, because this is, this is the whole thing. A lot of people can't reach here because they're not even here. And and Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I just Mm -hmm. thought about that right now. Like, unless we're firmly rooted, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be, what are we building? Right? I mean, think about that. And then, and then what are we established upon? And then what could we be grateful for? Right. And so that, 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 that just right now, when you were, right now, when you were saying that, I was just uh, putting it down. And it makes a lot of sense because a lot of times people, we, we lack like to be grateful because we're, we're lacking from roots in Christ. For example, a lot of people, they're not being nourished in the word. Um, so they're not being fed. They're not in prayer. They're not, you know, they're, they're not in communion with God. And so the last thing they're thinking about is being grateful to God. Um, you know, they're thinking about themselves, their own accomplishments. And, um, and so, and I love how, how the word, how it puts it in verse six, just as you received him, walk in him, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, this, this is a, this is a verse that, that is, is moving us forward. Like it's not just receive Jesus and then add Jesus to your life and then, you know, um, go and live out your life. No, it's receive him and walk in him. Um, and so, um, you know that's that abiding. You know, and if you notice, gratitude is is always it's a, it's a, it's. A, I think it's an overflowing. Yeah, overflowing with gratitude. It's this is something that just it should automatically happen. It's, there should and when this is overflowing, it's not like a little squirt. It's overflowing is it's is mm-hmm. pouring out of us because yeah. there's something to pour out. Um, there's nothing that we can pour out if there's if we're not putting anything in. And so you'll you'll see this in our we'll see this in our lives. Yeah. The more we dedicate to God, the more we can pour out of God. And and, and, and I think that the overflow is, is um, um, overflow with gratitude. Let me see what it is. Overflow. Um, let me see here too. Overflow uh, in with gratitude. Okay. I was just trying to see other manuscripts, what they were saying. But
0: yeah, so yeah. they- Mine says abounding in thanksgiving
2: okay yeah yeah and that gives it yeah that gives yeah, it better right. yeah and, and abounding yeah, that's what it is and so yeah um and and we're not and so i i just i just think that that's um a lot of people want to skip step one two three four in a sense and, and just and just be grateful to God and that's why for example thanksgiving the day you know when we we celebrate at least i mean at least as of right now we've celebrated thanksgiving you know who knows if whoever you know we'll be able to celebrate anything you know <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to preach, but yeah. So um, it, it, um, a lot of people, you know, they, they dedicate a day to the Lord. They do, they, you know, they're thankful for the family. They're you for their, they're you for the possessions, for the house, for the health. And, and, and the day's over and, and that's it. And, and, and we, we say this, we say this, you know, Christians ought to live a life of Thanksgiving. You know, Christians ought to be thankful every day. We, you know, it's, it's rhetoric that we repeat, but how much of it do we actually mean? So I just think that that's a, it's a high, it's a, I mean, that's a strong verse, you know, just like you receive him, walk in him. So, yeah, I mean, that's my input there. It's, it's a hard, hard
0: task. Yeah. And that's where he started with, you know, that was like the first thing he tells him, like, did you receive Christ Jesus? Don't walk in him. What are you guys doing? Like they, so it's true, man. It's a daily thing. It's not a once a week thing. It's, Not two days out the week thing, you know, it's it's life and it's every day. So, yeah, that was really good. And, yeah, you know, any tree without roots, bro, is just gonna fall over or die, or the wind's gonna blow it and it's gonna get uprooted. And, you know, but we have Christ, like, he ain't getting uprooted, you know, as long as we're attached to the true vine, then we should be bearing the fruits and we should be very grateful and very thankful for everything he does, good times, bad times, we should be praising him and thanking him for it because it's all gonna work out for our good in the long run and for his glory. Cool, all right, let's go to verse uh, eight, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive. This is the warning against the heresy. This is when we're gonna start getting a little deeper. So since the believers were to continue to live in union with Christ, right, and to work out his lordship in their lives, Paul warns them against the heresy, which is this philosophy was not in accordance with Christ at the time, but originated merely in human tradition. Paul then implies that in reality, its origins even deeper and more sinister than this, He says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So here's a question to ponder. What do you guys think he means by that? Uh, let's read verse eight real quick. Let me get over. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty according to human tradition. According to that. So What do you guys think he means by this? By the elemental spirits and by all these other things that he wanted to get
1: to not
2: have more faith in human traditions than what the what God has taught us to
1: have faith in.
0: Definitely. That was something going on back in those days. That it was more about tradition a lot, right?
1: Still going on now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does. It does. does. That's true. Yeah, sometimes we hold on to tradition more than we do the scripture. And then when you ask people, you ask them, like, why do y'all do that? And they just go, well, that's how we've always done it. What do you mean? Like, you know, it's like, yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, so uh, this is a. When it says that no one take you captive, that's like the, like the, um, like the bait. You know, you know, right? You go fishing. You put you put like a little worm uh, on the hook, and you and you hook, you hook you take captive the fish. Well, the, the world it, 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 we're, we fall into easy bait like that. You know, we know. You know, we're not we're not um, we're not a fish, right? We can reason, we can think. You know, we we shouldn't fall, yet we do. You know the world throws bait at us, and we fall. Um, uh, and we fall right into the bait. And w- this is what happens: is that when you become captive, you're a slave to that. You're you're a prisoner. Mm-hmm. You no longer have rights. You know you surrendered everything. So that word captive is, is and that's why Jesus says, you know, uh, Paul says, you know, do not, you know, not not to be mastered by anything, right? why is that Mm -hmm. because whatever masters you is that you will worship you know uh, you know for example you know if if you were captive by somebody you worship whether you like it or not you worship them you're their slave and so um i I think that the world captures us and takes us captive through philosophy through and that's the love of mind the love of thought the love of, of of you know what about this what about that what about the you know and then um you know, empty deception, of course, that's what it is. Deception is empty. You know, you know, it, you know, lies are empty. And, um, and tradition of men just put the cherry on top. Um, you know, I, I think that, and I, I agree with you, one of you, I think Benji said that it's still happening. Um, yeah, it, I think it is. And, and here's the thing, tradition, when we think of tradition, the problem is that we, we think religious organization, right? We automatically, a lot of people think, well, these traditions are practiced by a religious or, but it's beyond that. Tradi- every, we all have traditions. You know, we don't, we might not know it until somebody points them out, but we all are, tr- we, we because tr- you pick up habits and you do things out of tradition. So some things are good. Some things are profitable. And, you know, for example, praying every day is a tradition for for a Christian in a sense. I mean, it's a commandment, but we do it, uh, you know, uh, or reading the Bible. Yeah, we read the Bible, but that's a good thing. You're honoring God. Through it. The problem is when you're captive to something that that is going to lead you away from a worship to God. So we got to be really careful. There's good traditions, you know, and then but the tradition cannot um, supersede um, Christ. And that that's that's really um, you know because a good thing could turn evil if you're not careful. You know, uh, you know we have to really care. And again, that's a fine line. Um, so yeah, so I w- I would just make note of the captive is you know we got to be careful that we don't fall into the bait and um uh the bait of the world uh we know we're going to get you know you play with fire you will get burned you know that you don't you don't need a theological degree to figure that one out you don't even need a lot yeah. of education you turn on the fire if you get close you feel it hot the closer you get the more you'll burn you know and so i mean but yet we do it right you know um and that's because of our sinful nature um so Yeah, so let's not be captive to anything.
0: (laughs) Definitely. I look back on my life sometimes and I go, we had a tradition of like Sunday only church. That's dangerous, bro. You know, the closer I got, when I actually got like the true gospel and I understood, you know, because I slipped up in the beginning. But when I understood, like, then it was like, this isn't like a Sunday-only thing. Like, what am I doing, bro? Like, I'm talking about God indwelling me now. Like, this is the everyday holiness type of walk. Like, yeah, I've been messing up, but I need to stop. I'm like, yeah. Yeah,
2: and, yeah, and, and just let me add something there. Anthony makes a good point there in regards to the, the for example, that, that, that mindset, right? And, and, you know, and that ideology is very prevalent right now um, especially right now that the church has not been gathering. Um, you know, there's just this lukewarmness of Christianity right now. I mean, it's, it, I mean, there's no other way to nice, there's no way to put it. That's the truth. It's just a lot of people are, are very spiritually weak right now. And the enemy just takes advantage of it. Um, and cause they're not, they're not being fed. If you're not being fed, um, if you're not under the, the, the care of, of, of you have to be under spiritual care. We all do. Um, and, um, I think that we we easily like you said the Sunday only mentality, like you just said you you're gonna you're gonna realize it I mean you, if the, if you haven't by now that it's not enough <laughs> um, you know that that's that that was really prevalent back in the days that you know it's Sunday you know I'm a Christian, so uh, you know every Sunday I go to church, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays for me you know i I go to the club on Saturday, I go to church on Sunday, you know mm-hmm. I hang out with my you're friends saying? on this day. <laughs> Right, I mean that's the truth, right? I'm not preaching, but I'm just yeah. giving facts, you know. And um, uh, and so we, we, that that's a really scary thing. Again, you know, constantly. Uh, that's a I think that's a big warning for us that, um, you know, like you said, you, you used to slip up a lot. Um, your and your mind was a lot different before. Um, every time, you know, if you have a, a Sunday only mentality, um, you know, you're going to notice that you you're everything is radical for you. Uh, everything is, you know People who are Sunday only You know, everybody who prays a lot is a radical If you read the Bible, you're a radical You know, it like Paul, you know, I wrote the words That you read in, in uh, Paul Right now in Corinthians A spectacle A, a spectacle uh, a spectra- uh, mm-hmm. uh no, a spectacle, there we go Of the world, going to read my own writing And uh, fools for Christ And scum of the world Oh mm-hmm. no, that's not me You know, no, no, you yeah, know, I can't no, I can't go through poverty. I can't go through shipwreck beating. Right. I mean, we have a, we have a very comfortable Christianity. And so that, you know, you say these words like, Oh my gosh, no, that's, you know, that I'm, I'm the princess, you know, I'm the, I'm the queen or I'm the, no, you're not, you know, you're, you're not, you're a worm, you know? And so we, we, we we've adopted mentalities of, of, to make us, uh, um, to make us feel good and not know God more. So there, there's Hummer Sermon for today. Sorry about that guys. <laughs> about that.
0: Also,
1: it begins. Oh, oh sorry. It says it begin verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Like that gives us responsibility. So if we in Christ, if we are taken captive, it is because we were not guarding ourselves. Mm-hmm. That gives us a responsibility that we are supposed to be guarding and protecting our own relationship with Christ so that those things do not happen to us. And that gives us, like, like if that were to happen, then that was because we allowed it to happen, not because someone came and we just had no idea, you know? We have the responsibility to not have that happen to us because we've we've been given the freedom to know right from wrong now so we can't say like oh i didn't know that jesus was the only way like we have no excuse to say those things
0: yeah that's, that's awesome and i think that kind of goes into where he starts talking about you know that it's, that according to like the elemental spirits of the world because he's saying hey it's not just like people coming at you like this is much deeper you know we have a real enemy And he's a deceiver you know he comes as an angel light sometimes he's the one that's going to try to mislead you he's going to he knows your weaknesses he doesn't sleep he watches you he knows what to put in front of you so that's definitely be on guard i think that's like right on the nail yeah anybody else want to add to it